Welcome to America's Top Revitons. May this class be for Rafua Shlema, for Lior Tovia Ben Haya Ashna, and also for Igor Ben Rima. I'm so happy to have on today's show Revitin Faye Kranz Green. Revitin Faye was an emissary of the Lubavitcher Rebbe for more than 30 years in Oak Park, Michigan, San Diego, California, and Richmond, Virginia. She was the managing editor of the Richmond Jewish News and is a frequent contributor to various Chabad publications and websites. Thank you so much for being here. I understand that you have a very interesting story about your life that we can all learn a lot from. It's a story about a seemingly ordinary young girl who became a Rebbitzin and a Chabad Shlucha, a Chabad emissary. I invite you to please tell us your story. Well, hi. Thank you very much for asking me. I do have a story. And the only problem is my memory is not as good as it used to be. Maybe it was never good, actually, but uh, I will absolutely do my best. Thank so, you. Yes, I definitely was not Rebbitson material by any stretch of the imagination. We used to, me and my friends growing up, we would like kind of, um, how do you say it, stretch the rules just a little bit. You know, in those days when the short skirts were in style, we wore them a little bit shorter than probably was very (laughs) sneeous. If there was a cute boy on the street, we would try to like go closer. I mean, it was, we were just normal, ordinary teenagers. But I went to Beisrifka in the early, you know, in the early grades. And there was no Beisrifka high school in those years. We're talking 1960, maybe 1958, something like that, a long, long time ago. And um, I went to Beisyakov High School. We all went to Beisyakov High School. And we had um, teachers there who were pretty anti-Chabad. Some were vocally anti-Chabad. And they would, they would say disparaging things. But somehow we made it through. And I graduated. And um, I learned how to um, write. I think that's the one thing that I did well at. I didn't do well in in like subjects like math or history very much, but I was able to write. So that gave me a kind of a leg up when I met my husband-to-be, and he told me that he was going on Shlichus. Now, the interesting thing is that um, his name was Yaakov Noah Kranz, Salava Shalom. He was six foot four, and when I would go to Fabrangans, you know, by the Rebbe in 770, I lived right around the corner from the... From there, um, I, we would look down, you know, when we were young, uh, down where the men were, and if we saw, you know, some cute guy that, you know, that we kind of uh, liked, somehow that's the, when we ended up marrying. Shadokim were so much easier in those days. And I'm wow. not saying it in a bad or unsneeous way at all. But I looked at that guy and I said, look at him. He's the tallest guy in the whole room, and I understand he's very smart because he was learning with my brother. My brother is Rabbi Manus Friedman. My baby brother is Avram Fried, so um, he was an idol to all my brothers because he learned with them and he was brilliant. And when they heard that I was marrying him, they were like in seventh, seventh heaven. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was really nice. In fact, it's a very funny story. One of my brothers once was I was walking with him on the street. He's actually up today in Kansas City, and he said to me, he says, so when, my, when we weren't engaged yet, we were still dating, but we were going to get engaged just as soon as he got his smicha. So he would call me, you know, on the phone occasionally, and if one of my brothers picked up the phone, 
and asked who it is. He had made up a name, Dove somebody. And um, then my brothers would say, sorry, she's not in. Anyway, so one day I'm walking on the street with this brother of mine, and he says, say, who is this Dove guy that calls you and talks on the phone for hours? What kind of a Hasidic Shabbat talks on the phone for hours with a girl? Yankel Kranz would never do that. And when he heard that that's who I was marrying, if I tell you my brothers were Pasha in seventh heaven, every one of them. So when he, on the very, very first date, he said to me, I am going on Shlachas. That's something you need to know right off the bat. Shlachas was new in those days. I didn't have any friends that were on Shlachas. I barely knew what Shlachas was. But I wanted to marry him, so I said, sure, <laughs> and I'll go on Shlachas right now. So when we got married, the first place we went to was Detroit, Michigan, Oak Park, Michigan, where um, he was the rabbi in a shul. We worked for the, uh, for the Shem Tov, so with the head shulchan there. And he was the rabbi in a shul, which was, um, I mean, it was obviously it was a Chabad shul, but the people that were in that shul were just, you know, maybe on the verge of becoming from, or most of them were not from at all. And we also had a Hebrew school there. And he taught in that Hebrew school. And that Hebrew school had the um, graduating class that was pretty much all girls. There was maybe one boy in it. And he would take those girls to Crown Heights. They were, they were known as Kranz's girls. None of them came from, from families. And today, a number of them have been shluchas now themselves for years, even though they weren't very from when we first met them. I don't want to mention any of their names, but and they're all amazing, amazing shluchas today. And, um, you know, I have a lot of nachas from that. It's like grandchildren or something that I have there in, in Detroit. I came back there for a, an event I had to go to. And the women there said to me, say, look around the shul. She says, do you see these children? These are your your neshamas and your, your balichuvas, and this is all you're doing, generations of kids. So it just, you know, it wasn't my doing. I don't know whose doing it was, but the Deba's doing. But it was just amazing to see what one young, flighty girl can manage to do if she puts her mind to it and if she goes, you know, on the right path, where clearly going on Shlichus was the right path. I learned to do so many things that I had no idea I knew how to do. I ran a newspaper. I was the editor for years of a newspaper in Richmond, Virginia, a very well-read newspaper. People waited for it every week. I had a radio show. I, I even gave classes. I, I became a mensch, put it that way. Maybe I learned how to cook a little bit, but I, I became a mensch in my own right. I used to speak for... Um, um, for for the uh, kinnis, yes. the kinnis I was a, a couple of times the uh, the head spe- the main speaker there, and I told a story about my mother once. It was I don't remember what the speech was about, but it was about my mother. It was about Mashiach. It was the Mashiach time, and I don't know how I connected it, but I said that for my mother, I said. There's no such thing as lighting candles, as benching lift, a second before Shkia or five minutes before Shkia. Never. My mother always lit her candles a good 15 minutes before lift bench and before anything. She was never, ever late. She was so particular with her, with her lift bench. And in our house, Friday afternoon was peaceful. I said, we are living now in an era 
in an era of Erev Shabbos. And it, is so, it was a Mashiach controversy in those years. Everybody was fighting with everybody else. It was a really, it was a difficult time in Chabad. And I said, but you know, in my house, Erev Shabbos was peaceful and beautiful and wonderful. There was no, you know, there was no running around, no last minute. Every, and whenever I meet somebody, even today, 40 years later, maybe 50 years later, everyone doesn't remember a word that I said about Mashiach or anything. They only remember one thing, that my mother lit her candles early and it was peaceful in my house. Everybody, everybody will remember that. Wow. So what do you think, and you don't want to be illegal, what, what, what made it so peaceful? Because I know Friday night is often a really, really hard time for a lot of people there trying to get all the last-minute items ready, trying to set the table, trying to get the kids ready. There's a lot that goes on. Some kids have school. They, you know, they have to go, parents have to go pick up their kids from school. How is it that, mm-hmm. you know, can you give us some tips from your mother where she was able to make Friday night so calm and beautiful? You know what? I'm not sure, except that those were different times. My mother didn't drive a car, so my mother wasn't picking up any children. Women didn't drive in those years. Okay. And uh, my mother surely didn't drive. And my mother just was a person that got up in the morning, did what needed to be done quietly. She didn't ask us for help. We were eight children. I was the oldest of eight. I am, but I'm the oldest of eight children. And I wasn't much of a helper. I really wasn't. And she didn't yell at me and she didn't say, you know, you have to. In fact, one time when one of my aunts said to her, you know, Faye never helped you when she was young. My mother said, really? I, I don't even remember that. My mother only remembered the good things about her children. She remembered nothing. I mean, according to her, of course, none of us had any bad things. We were all the best and the smartest and the brightest. And, you know, many mothers are not like that. I have a friend to this day. She lives here in Florida. And she'll always say to me, I loved coming to your house. It was always so peaceful. Your mother never yelled. She brought up all your friends and they made a mess. She never said a word. She was an unusual woman. And my father was an unusual man, what should I say? And, um, wow, that's really incredible. Thank you for hearing that. It (laughs) is. But going on, Shlichus Pashat made me into a mensch. I would have I, I would have not gone on Shulchas. I would have married maybe businessmen or something. I'm, I, I wouldn't have, you know, picked up any talents at all. And Baruch Hashem, because I went on Shulchas, something that I, you know, didn't ever even expect to go on, and I wasn't the type to go either on Shulchas, every talent that I ever might possibly have had was brought out on Shlechus. On Shlechus, you have to speak. On Shlechus, you have to write. On Shlechus, you have to obtain. On Shlechus, you have to teach. You have to do everything on Shlechus. And you have to be a Musar Haskel. You have to be a Dugmachaya. You have to be, you have to, you know, dress a certain way and act a certain way and, and do certain things. And that just makes you a better and smarter person. And of course, we're doing what, what the Deva wanted us to do. And we see the, uh, the fruits of our labor, and we, we see it now. We see it now. We see how many, uh, you know, shluchim and shluchais there are today just because of, you know, they came to us, they came to our schools, they liked it, and they didn't just become from, they became shluchim. It was a pretty amazing thing. That was Detroit, Michigan. Um, I was 19 years old when I got married. Wow. And when I got to Detroit... There was a shul there that my husband was a rabbi of, but it was an old shul. It was dying. It was on its way out. 
and all of the members were at least 90 and up. There were no young people at all in that show. And those old ladies were calling me Rebetzin. And I said to them once, I said, please, don't call me Rebetzin. I'm not a Rebetzin. I was 19 years old and rather flighty. My husband heard about this one. Somebody said to him that I, I tell them, don't call me Rebetzin. So he, came. he was not happy. And he said, listen, you might not think you're a Rebetzin. Maybe I don't think you're a Rebetzin. He says, but these people... To them, you are their Rebetzin, and you have to start acting like one. So slowly but surely, yeah, slowly but surely, I became president of the sisterhood. I started to give speeches. We didn't have all the, the, uh, what do you call it, all the sikhahs of the Rebbe so accessible to us in English. It was very difficult to find find stuff. I used to have to go to the women's... um, what did you call that organization? The OU, Women's Organization. They would send out like a little divrei Torah or something. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't even easy to find material. But apparently I became a speaker and, and a teacher and people enjoyed it. And slowly but surely the, the entire school there became from. And there were half of them are shlokas today. So it's, you just get so much nachas from seeing that. But yeah. the Detroit didn't last very long. And from there we moved to, well, no, we were there eight years. And from there we moved to a Chabad house, a real Chabad house on campus of Virginia Commonwealth University. We moved to Virginia. And um, that was a whole different kind of shlichus altogether. Um, we, we lived right next to the school and... We used to have uh, students from the uh, from the colleges, not from kids, but they would come and they would um, come every Friday night and Shabbos. And it was my job to cook for them, and somehow I managed to do that. I don't know how, but I did. I managed to cook for a hundred people for Shabbos. It's amazing the things you have to do. I never would have learned any of it. And wow! It was very very nice to be on campus and we met beautiful young people there like I say many of them them today and um, a few months ago I had a phone call from a shliach in Pennsylvania who I didn't know but he said to me Faye he says I did brisk the other day for a young man he's a judge and when I asked him what name to give the baby he said Yaakov Noah and I know Yaakov Noah was your husband, your late husband. I said, yeah, what was this guy's name? A judge? And he tells me the name. And I said, him? He became a judge? He was a pothead. He did nothing but smoke pot all day long in his room. <laughs> in fact, I remember he wanted to marry a, a, one of the girls who used to come under the Balabasim. And her father would say, absolutely not. This guy's a pot. I said, he became a judge? You've got to give me his phone number. I hadn't heard from him in 40 years, let's say, and um, he couldn't find it. And about six months later, my brother, one of my brothers calls me and he says, Faye, I'm visiting a patient in the hospital. And there's a young man here who tells me that he knows you. And again, it was the same person. It was the same, the same judge guy. And I said, please get me his phone number. So he finally tracked it down for me, and I called him. And the first thing he said to me is, how is Yoli? Yoli was my baby in those years. When he said those words, all of a sudden it came back to me how nice it was when we lived there in that building. We were friends with everybody. And so I spoke to him, and I said, so, you know, you're from today? I said, 
He says, yes. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm through. I'm Shomer Shabbos. My children are Shomer Shabbos. And I said, well, how did this happen? I said, if I remember, all you did was smoke pot. He said, no, this is France. You're mixing me up with somebody else. I said, no, I'm not. You know it was you. He says, I just got over it. And I remembered your husband, your late husband, how he used to teach us and what he taught us. And I went to learn with Chabad and this guy is now a judge and from, and he has two children, twin boys. One of them is named Jacob Noah after my husband. So, so that was very beautiful to, yeah, that was really, really beautiful to see. And um, we didn't stay very long in San Diego. From there we moved to our final shlifas because my husband became head of state and we moved to Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia was a place where when we first came and we went to one of the biggest balabatim in the city and my husband says to him, I'm here from Chabad, we're opening up a Chabad house here and you know, we'd like to have your support. And the man says, I'm not interested at all in Chabad. He says, five minutes from now, you're not going to be here anymore and we will have spent the money for nothing. This is not a city that can accommodate Chabad. We have very, very few Orthodox families here. This is a conservative, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line, he just wasn't giving him any money. And my husband said to him, I am going to be here forever, he says. I'm going to buy a cemetery out here. Unfortunately, that eventually came true because he passed away in Virginia when he was only 50 years old. But that's what he said to the guy there. And slowly but surely, he got to all of the people in Virginia. We built the most gorgeous, gorgeous Chabad house. We used to have a lot of rooms there that we rented out. It was called the Fabrain Inn, I-N-N. Very cool name. Yes. And we opened it up to groups that would come. This was Virginia. It wasn't that far from New York. So all of the school groups and camp groups that would come to, we had a lot of tourist things in Virginia, Kings Dominion, Bush Gardens, Monticello, all kinds of things that, you know, in those years, people didn't run to Israel or to France. You know, they went where they could drive on a bus. So we had all the schools and all the camps would come to us, and we had a big dining room, and we fed them all. And it was uh, a, quite an amazing thing this for bringing in. The people that came there, they were not Chabad. They were from them, most of them. Um, but they were not Chabad, and Chabad wasn't very popular in those years, I'm sorry to say, but it wasn't. And uh, most people didn't like Chabad at all. We had people. I had. A, um, we had people who didn't want to come into our seder. One guy said. His wife said to me. He said, "My husband says there is no way that I'm going into a Chabad seder. Hmm. No way. I, I, I'm getting sick just thinking about having to sit at a Chabad seder." So the woman says to him. His wife says to him, "Look, you have two choices." You can come and eat the Seder right here in your bedroom, in our bedroom. No, I had a one-room one room, uh, apartment over there. You can come and sit there by yourself, or you can just, you know, pick yourself up and say, I, I'll survive sitting at a Chabad Seder. <laughs> so in the end, he, she says, he came in to that Seder. And then as he sat down, he says next to him, Next to us, there was a table with Satmar Chassidim. You know, we had all kinds of people. Okay. Yeah. And we, that was my job. I assigned tables. And, uh, and we became hotel managers. That's what we were doing for many, many years. So anyway, um, 
she said to me, my husband said, you see that table with the fat Chidim? I do not like fat Chidim. I am not sitting at this table. We tried to change it for them. Apparently we couldn't. And finally she says, look, turn your head around the other way so that you're not looking at that table and you're just going to have to you know, go through. I said, so what happened? I was the Seder. She says, hey, it's a long story. I'm only going to tell you one thing. Ad hayayim hazeh. We and that Satmar family are the best of friends. Oh my gosh! This, yes, yeah, this, this is what this, uh, yeah, this is what that Farbringin did. It brought together uh, uh, families and people from every, you know, from every kind of Hasidim, non-Hasidim, Sagdim, whatever. They all came together and they all went away as friends. Every single time and every single meal. We had a um, we had a, a, a Mashiach Suda, I remember once at the end of Pesach, and the man, also not a Lubavitcher, a different Chassid, I don't remember what he was. He stood up and he says, "I have to tell you that when we came here, the only reason that we came to this hotel was because my father can't walk steps, and yours is the only hotel that does not have any steps." When it came the first night, my father said to me, just like this other guy had said, I can't even think of going into a Lubavitcher Seder. I can't think about it. So again, he said the same thing to his father. You can either sit here in your room or you can come sit at the table. He says, so anyway, what should I tell you? He says, we've been here now eight days and this is the best Pesach we have ever had in our entire lives. So this is the way it was. People just began to love Chabad and we just made so many lifelong friends. It was it was wonderful. It was just wonderful. And that then really unfortunately what, what? I was gonna say that's really, really special. I was actually wondering as you're talking, I mean it's really, really special and phenomenal that, you know, people started out not wanting to go into the Seder, being very nervous about it, not you know, uh-huh. not being positive about it at all. And they came out with like not only did they like it, but they loved it. <laughs> Exactly. And my husband was an incredible man. He wasn't just Samasa. He was six foot four. He was a giant man in every way. Mm-hmm. And he was an amazing shliach. He had Satmar Chassidim asking him to fix him up with the, um, with the Yishidus of the Rebbe. Wow. Satmar Chassidim, who said, please send me the sickness in a brown paper envelope with no return address. Said that right. to me in Williamsburg. I want to hear the Debus. I want to read the Debus. This was when Satmar was very much not liking Chabad. Now everyone loves Chabad. It, uh, things have changed, but those years were difficult. Yeah. And everybody who came just always, always really loved it. We had a man that came once, and he came for Pesach. And at the uh, Mashiach Sada, he got up to speak, and he said, The only reason that we came here. Again, he said it was because my father-in-law couldn't climb steps. And he was the one who couldn't even think to walk in to a Chabad Seder. But he says, we've enjoyed it. And what I would like for you is to set me up with a Yechidus of the Rebbe. And my husband wasn't feeling already well then. Um, he says, I'm going to come with you. So he took, he took this guy, his name is Walter, he took this guy to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said to him, I work for... Um, for one of these big major companies, I wish I could remember the name, but I can't. 
some big major company, he says, and they want to send me to the Paris office. And I'm worried, I'm, you know, I'm religious, I have children, and I'm worried about Zimmer. So I want to ask the Debbie. So he went in, he asked the Debbie. The Debbie said to him, go to France. Don't worry about the Finnuf. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for your children. Come to France. And they, and they went. A number of years later, my husband had already passed away. One day I get a phone call on Hanukkah, an overseas phone call. And he says to me, say, hi, this is Walter. You remember me? I said, sure. He says, you know where I'm calling you from? I'm calling you from the Chabad Menorah lighting at the Eiffel Tower. I just wanted to say, you know, a happy Hanukkah to you and tell you how the move to France has been so wonderful and the advice that it gave us was wonderful. And we'll never forget the days that we spent at the Fabrangan in Virginia. It was just nice to hear. Wow. It was just nice to hear. But Hashem really, really did a lot of good things. It's that you both my, made big well, It's really incredible. I'm sorry? It sounds like you both made such a big impact on other people, and it's really incredible. Yeah, apparently we did. My son now, who, you know, the, uh, the Fabrangin is not open anymore, but the building is still there, and the shul is still there. My son is the rabbi there in mm-hmm. Richmond, Virginia, and he still has a book where people find out when they left. So one of these days I will make a book out of those names and the things that the people wrote, because I have it. I didn't realize that he has that book where people wrote what a wonderful time we had or whatever comments they wrote when they left. So he still has it. So one day we're gonna, I'm going to write a book called Stories from the Fabrang Inn. <laughs> and there will be people all over the country that will remember it. I love it. So, um, yeah. So then, um, you know, being in Richmond was, uh, was wonderful. And I stayed there all the years. I ran a newspaper. I ran a radio program. I mean, things that I couldn't have done ever in my whole life had I not been on Schleffes. People used to listen. They told me to my radio program in Tennessee, which borders Virginia. Mm -hmm. And these were Sunday school teachers that came in every Sunday to teach in the conservative and reform Hebrew schools. And they told me afterwards that when they listened to my radio program, that's what they used to teach for their kids in the Reform and Conservative School. So that was kind of nice, too. But, um, yeah, it was wonderful. But you know what? My husband passed away. He was only 50 years old. I stayed on for a number of years and, you know, did the best I could. My son took over as rabbi. I still kept doing my things. And then Baruch Hashem, I... I remarried a very wonderful man, and we moved away, and I left Virginia for good. We moved away to Richmond. We moved away to um, Boca Raton, Florida, mm-hmm. where our house also became a Chabad house. Everybody knew I started giving classes, and everybody knew that, you know, this was Chabad. So I continued. I continued writing. I continued giving classes. And uh, then my second husband passed away, and I moved back to Crown Heights. I was there for a little while. I didn't want to be there very long. And I eventually decided that I'm moving to Florida, just out of a clear blue sky. And here I am in Florida. I'm going mm-hmm. to, um, I have a rate, I do a podcast now. I did something brand new. I, somebody said to me once after hearing my story, she said, Faye, you should do a podcast. I said, I don't even know what a podcast is. 
so I went online. I went online to my Friedman family chat, and I said, "Does anybody know what a podcast is?" And one nephew of mine, whom I didn't even know, answered me and said, "I can help you." And he called me. I said, "What do I need for a podcast?" He said, "You need a name, and you need a topic." So. One of my family came up with the, word, with the name Fay It Forward, you know, instead of Pay It Forward. Yes, Fay It Forward. It was a very cute name. And I thought, what am I going to say? I wish I could remember what my first podcast was, but I don't remember what it was. But to date, I have already done 75 podcasts. Every Beautiful. week I do another one. And Baruch Hashem, it's become popular. People, I have a lot of listeners. People like it. And I talk about all kinds of, you know, different things from my life and from whatever comes up in my mind. Um, one of them is called my left shoe because when I was tying my shoes one day, I realized I tied the right one before the left one. You're supposed to do the left one first. Whatever it is, turned it into a podcast. And people are liking it. And it gives me something, something um, that I think is, um, good, something good to do every week, and I have to think about it. And when people talk to me, I listen very carefully to what they say now because sometimes I'll say, "Oh, what you just said, Ron, makes me think about a podcast." So it's worked very well for me. But Hashem gives me something to do that I think is, you know, you can't just be on vacation all day long. Once you've been a shlacha for so many years, you just can't. And uh, so I do what I can here, and. Um, I'm happy here, Baruch Hashem. That's life. Wonderful. Wow. It, you, have, you really do have an amazing story, and you, did, you learned so much. And you know what? You made a very good point. The things that you learned from Shlechus wouldn't have been things that you would have learned, like you said, if you married a businessman or, you know, if you just, if you weren't on Shlechus. Exactly. If you did anything never, 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 never would have, never. You know, the talents that you have come out. Every you when you're on Shlachas, you have to use every drop talent you have, and fifty uh, percent of talent that you never knew you had. All these Shlachas used to say, "I can't speak. I can't give a class." They used to say that to me. I can't. I, how do you do it? I can't. I said, "Just do it. You'll see. You know more than them. Just always keep that in mind." The Rebbe used to say, "You know Aleph, you teach Aleph." So you know right. Aleph, and you know Beis and Gimel and Dalit, and hey, you know more than people in your class. Just think about that. And uh, it worked out. It's amazing. It, it worked it's amazing. out. Yeah. And that was incredible. You, you really lived such a rich and full life, and you've helped so many people, which is truly amazing. And I want to thank you so much, Rabbi Sensei, for sharing with us your remarkable thank you. story. We, thank you so much. We, I have to tell you that I don't, get, I don't take any credit for it. I came from an amazing family, um, a loving family, a talented family, um, two parents who were like the most amazing people, and... Uh, you know, it didn't just come out of the clear blue sky, and I was married to two very good husbands, so I certainly don't take all the credit, and my own children have helped me so many ways, and they're all shulchan about Hashem today, and I'm just thankful to Hashem and to the Rebbe for all of this, and thank you for putting me on this program. I'm honored. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you again so much. <laughs> You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Have a very good day, and a kosher of Pesach. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you too. Okay. Bye. Bye.